This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Robert Todd Lincoln was a surviving son of President Abraham Lincoln, who we all know was assassinated in Ford's Theater in 1865. But an intriguing new book explores the life of the president's son, Robert Todd Lincoln, after his father's death and how he was close to two additional presidential assassinations. With us today for our President's Day edition is Jason Emerson, a historian and the author of the new book, Giant in the Shadow, The Life of Robert T. Lincoln. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Sure. So it's kind of interesting because after the president was assassinated, you really didn't hear much about his children, uh, his wife a little bit because she had her problems. What made you interested in Robert Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, I've been uh, studying Lincoln boy, almost 30 years now uh, since I was 19. And I worked as a park ranger at the Lincoln home. Um, I worked as an interpreter at Gettysburg. And uh, when I was at Lincoln's home, my supervisor there uh, said, oh, you should go see Robert's house, Hildeen in Manchester, Vermont. It's an amazing thing. Nobody knows about it. So uh, Hildeen wasn't that far. I live in upstate New York. So I went and visited it. And it was fascinating. It's a 25-room Georgian revival mansion, which is, of course, not something you think of when you think of Abraham Lincoln, exactly. that his son lived in this in the mansion. Um, and so, yeah, I was interested. And that there was only one biography of Robert ever written, and that was mm. in the 60s. And it was only about 200 pages long, very, mm. very mm. general book for multiple reasons. And, uh, you know, as a historian, I've written multiple books and articles and things, and, and I really enjoyed writing about and learning about aspects of history that have not been written a hundred times already. And Robert has really just been, you know, ignored, um, maligned, misunderstood. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that uh, set me on the trail uh, to my book uh, that you mentioned, which took me almost 10 years actually to write. Because oh my. There's so much about Robert um, that was, it was un every day I found something new, <laughs> unknown, unpublished. It was That's incredible. Great. That's <laughs> wonderful. And you did. You hit it. You hit someone that hasn't been written about. So tell us his life after the assassination. Yeah. Well, Robert was, uh, he was a fascinating man, but he, he was actually, he was a, a great man in his own right which a lot of people don't know or they don't believe. But uh, yeah, so Robert, um, he moved with his mother and little brother to Chicago and he studied law. So he became a lawyer and ultimately he became one of the biggest lawyers, not only in Chicago, but in the entire Midwest. Huh. Um, but he was uh, secretary of war under President Garfield. He served as minister to Great Britain under President Harrison. And later in life, after Robert's only son, Abraham Lincoln II, died when he was 16, Robert gave up the law and he moved into business. And he was in all sorts of businesses, but he ultimately became president of the Pullman Car Company. Hmm. And he held that position for over a decade. And um, uh, along with many other, he sat on the board of you know telephone companies, uh, car companies, banks. He was a true captain of industry and he hobnobbed. He knew Vanderbilt and Morgan and Carnegie wow. and all those guys. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So Robert, and then in addition to all of that, Robert was also the steward of his father's legacy. And so he, you know, he had all of his father's papers and mm -hmm. all of the family heirlooms. 
But then on top of that, um, you know, he was deluged every day. But once he got up towards 1909, Abraham Lincoln's centennial birthday, it was just an avalanche of people constantly writing to Robert, telegramming, phone calling Mm -hmm. once phones were Mm -hmm. invented, of saying, you know, do you have anything of your father's I can have? Can you send me? Right. Can you send me a signature? Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I wrote a book. Will you read it? I, I made a sculpture. Will you look <laughs> at it? I made a painting. Will you give me your input? Just every day. It was, I can't believe uh, how he handled that. Was there any? Uh, and you talk a little bit about this, but was there any urge for him to get into politics? You know, I was thinking that as we were getting ready to talk, I was thinking of Martin Luther King. Like, how do you follow up that act? I mean, right. MLK <laughs> Jr. You got MLK three. I mean, how do you how do you follow that? Was there any thought in his mind to go into politics? Uh, no, actually. Uh, you know, the first article I ever wrote about Robert was called Avoiding the Gilded Prison, Robert Lincoln for President. <laughs> I've never and, heard uh, it called that, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, The Republican Party tried five times to run him for president, um, basically because first because of his name, and then later because he had the name, but also he was an incredibly smart and able administrator. Mm -hmm. So then he got doubly, doubly wanted by all these people. And um, in 1887, um, he was being interviewed by a newspaper, uh, you know, as a potential nominee. And Robert said, I know people, most people don't understand this, but I want nothing to do with the presidency. And he said to me, the presidency is nothing but a gilded prison. The care and worry outweigh to my mind, the honor which surrounds the position. I love that. But uh, yeah, but the party tried to get him to run everything from mayor of Chicago, governor of Illinois, Congress, yeah. Senate, vice president. Um, and yeah, he, you know, in, in multiple of his letters, he said, he said, listen, I made a decision shortly after my father died that I could either live my entire life caring for his legacy and being his son, or I could be my own person. And I decided to be my own person. And so he never traded on his name. Was he disgusted by politics? Was he turned off? I mean, did the assassination really, I mean, was was that a factor at all? Was he just turned off by what he saw under his dad? Yeah, I think he was uh, disgusted by a certain aspect of politics, but, you know, he was actively political his entire life. So he obviously read the papers and knew everything that was going on as well as all the politicians, but he, he campaigned for certain people for president. Um, you know, he did, you know, campaign swings throughout the Midwest campaigning, particularly for Garfield and then later for Benjamin Harrison. And, uh, he would make a few, he hated speech making, but every once in a while Mm -hmm. he might say a couple words in favor of, of a particular candidate, typically, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody he knew personally, or maybe someone that was a friend of his father. But, um, yeah, he, you know, he didn't like it, but he understood the importance of it. And, uh, you know, later in life, you could see, um, uh, I found funny some of his letters. Uh, he hated Woodrow Wilson. And he thought Woodrow Wilson was going to destroy America, literally destroy oh, America. wow. So that's funny, uh, reading that, some of those yeah. letters. Boy, that is something you don't want. Robert T. Lincoln saying you're going to destroy the world or whatever. <laughs> right. But um, do you think he would have been a good politician, elected official? Uh, Robert never never was. Yeah. He He was... Uh, I take that back. He was, he was only elected once. He was elected by the people of Illinois as a presidential elector 
in the uh, 1880 election. So, right. you know, not elected to office, but he was elected as an elector. However, he was appointed as mm-hmm. the supervisor of the town of South Chicago in 1876. <laughs> and that was um, basically, that's where he lived. And um, a bunch of Democrats ruled the town for a decade or more. Yeah. And they literally stole the election, you know, stole the ballot boxes, stuffed ballots, you know, mm-hmm. destroyed Republican mm-hmm. ballots. It was all mm-hmm. seen and witnessed and recorded. Mm-hmm. And um, they'd been doing it for years. And, and so the people of the town finally got so fed up, you know, they had a huge meeting. They, yeah. they kicked those Democrats out and they brought in uh, people that they wanted instead, and they brought in Robert to be the town mm-hmm. supervisor. And mm-hmm. so he held that for a year. And he, um, uh, it's really he was that was one of the things he was most proud of it in his entire life. No um, you know, they reduced town expenses, reduced town taxes, mm-hmm. got rid of mm-hmm. all the graft and fraud and everything. And uh, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. And he would sound like he would have been a good elect official, a good politician. Would he have been if uh, he'd gone right into it? I, I think he would have been excellent. Yeah, he was. Uh, even people who didn't like him always said he was a great administrator. He was an excellent secretary of war. Um, but you know, nothing major happened while he was sure, a secretary. Sure. Same thing, uh, minister to great Britain, nothing major happened mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. international incidents, but he was a great and Pullman company, Robert, um, you know, his term as president, he, I think at least quadrupled the value of the company. Wow. wow. So he, um, and the railroad yeah, would have going gangbusters then. I mean, exactly. exactly the yeah. Going gangbusters, right. Robert was just like his dad. He was honest. Uh, he was meticulous. He was intelligent. So yeah. He would have been great. And, um, you know, in terms of that period, I guess, you know, we see it a lot of times. You'll see a congressman dying and his wife takes over the seed. And you'll see, <laughs> right. like, you know, with the Kennedys, they were always. And um, there, there was probably a, a small window. Was there a small window for him to kind of, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it here. And if not, you're not, you're not going to do it. Is it. Was it one of those kind of windows for him? Uh, not really. There, there was there was one window. I mean, he was being talked of for president. From 1884 up until 1912. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, there was one window. I discovered this as I was writing the book. Um, so Robert was Secretary of War to President Arthur. And he thought Arthur was a great president who mm-hmm. deserved to be nominated and elected in his own right after he took over when Garfield died. Right. And um, the party, ultimately, they did not nominate him. They nominated James G. Blaine instead. Um, but I found all these uh, letters and telegrams Robert wrote during the 1884 uh, Republican um, nominating convention. Robert was being talked of across the country as hmm. he needs to be the vice president nominee wow. for the party. Wow. And he told all of his friends who were there, they said, he said, I will not take it. If anybody brings up my name, you, you know, quash that and I don't want it. And then as balloting was going on, he sent a telegram to his friend and said, remember, I don't want this. However, if Arthur is nominated, <laughs> let me know. So basically, like I think that he little knew. Window opened, yeah. yeah, yeah, he didn't want it. But I think he knew that you know, the only way Arthur might get the nomination is if he had Robert as his second on the ticket. Oh, that's very and Robert. You know, he felt back then he 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 had this great sense of duty that yeah. he didn't want anything to do with politics or presidency. Right. But he said many times, he said, you know, a duty might be devolved upon a man that he cannot honorably say no to. And how about the president? I mean, how how did the assassination of his father affect him? Do you think? 
Oh, it, it destroyed him and it completely, you know, altered what his life would have been. You know, there was, um, basically Robert was always going to be a lawyer, but he probably, probably would have gone into law with his father back Mm -hmm. in Springfield. Abraham Lincoln always wanted to return to Springfield after the presidency, although he also wanted to travel the world the way that Grant did after his presidency. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, and Robert, you know, once his father died, Robert became the head of the family, as was typical back then in Victorian social mores. So, you know, he was 22, but suddenly he was a man. He was head of the family. He had to take charge of his little brother, Tad, who Mm -hmm. couldn't read or write. He was, you know, crazy, probably ADD kid. And then, of course, his mother, she had issues her entire life. But really, after the assassination was when her mental health really started dropping and Robert had to deal with that. And, um, you know, he actually, um, he was engaged to a girl. He broke it off so that he could Mm. move with his mother to Chicago, even though he didn't want to. So yeah, the assassination, um, destroyed him. And that's definitely, I'm sure one reason he hated politics too. So tell me, um, his relationship with his father, what was his relationship with his father? Like, you know, that's one of the many misunderstandings about Robert Lincoln, People tend to think, uh, if they think of Robert at all, that he did not get along with his father um, because, you know, you know, people always say, ah, oh, he was a Todd more than a Lincoln. He was his mother's son. He and his father had nothing in common, didn't really like each other. And that's not true. Um, he and his father got along very well. Um, the difference was that, you know, Willie and Tad were little kids during the Civil War. Robert was in college, so he was not always around. Um, but, um, you know, Robert was, he was like his mother. He loved to travel. He loved to go Mm -hmm. shopping. He liked nice clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was also very much like his father. He was a great storyteller. He was hilarious at telling jokes. Mm -hmm. He was really high spirited, always a life of the party, like his father. Um, very intelligent, loved the law and they got along quite well, but you know, Robert was in college and, after his father died, Robert did not like talking to the press for huh. multiple reasons. Huh. And so because he didn't like talking to them, uh, basically, he's, he felt that journalists always got everything wrong, either on purpose or because right. they were just too dumb to get it right. <laughs> and so so he wouldn't talk to them. I resemble because- that remark. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. I totally get it with the state of today's journalism, by the way. But, sure, sure. but uh, so he wouldn't talk to them. So because he wouldn't talk to them, they would either make it up or get it wrong. Yeah. So because of that, he wouldn't talk to them. So it was this vicious cycle. And so, yeah. and so the press would, they, they didn't like him either. And they would, yeah. they were very harsh on him. And that was one of the big digs was, oh, he's nothing like his father. But was his, uh, was his, um, it was, was his kind of opposition to the press. Was it due to anything that was written about his father? Was it the assassination? What was written about there? Was it more just personal? What's been written about him? Uh, a little bit of everything. You know, he, he didn't like, yeah, things written about his father, particularly, you know, things written about his mother, mm-hmm. especially, you know, the 10 years, 65 to 75, Mary, Robert had his mother committed to sure. an insane asylum in 1875. And, you know, typical to the Victorian times back then, he did not feel that he felt anything his mother did should not be in the press. You know, she was sure. a woman, she's sure. a widow, just let her live her life. Yeah. So he resented that in general because the press never let Mary 
have a moment's peace. Sure. Uh, part of which was her own fault, quite right. frankly. But but so he didn't like that. And Robert didn't like being in the press either. Um, and so he didn't like it when they reported on him. And then they always seemed to get it wrong in some way. So yeah, that was, uh, and that was always his whole life, you know, whether he was just a lawyer or particularly once he got later on into the Pullman stuff, um, he didn't like the way they would uh, report on uh, various politics concerning the railroads or things sure. he did or what George Pullman did. So, so when you, we see the, the famous movie is Lincoln and um, Lincoln and he, um, he has a pretty big role in that because he wanted to go and join the civil war and his father did not want him to. And I guess a great scene where, you know, Abraham Lincoln takes him out and just shows him the carnage of battle on the, on the battlefield. And, uh, that was a rub between them, wasn't it? It was, you know, that's, uh, I love that movie. I think it was incredibly well made. Um, the, there's a couple things about the movie I, I don't like as a historian. One of them is is Robert and the way he was portrayed. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. Uh, but Robert, uh, he wanted to join the army the minute Fort Sumter was fired upon, and um, his mother would not allow it. She was uh, freaking out because you know her their son Eddie had died when he was four in 1850, and she was right. terrified that Robert would get killed. And so Abraham Lincoln, you know, knew his wife's emotional frailty. And so he sure. gave into that despite sure. the fact that, you know, he was just pounded in the press. Like, oh, sure. You send other kids' sons sure. off to war, but not your own. Exactly. And Robert too. He was exactly. called a coward and a right. shaker. Right. So, right. Oh. Yeah. but then after, um, after Willie died in 1862 in the white house, then there was no way Robert was getting in the army. So yeah, Robert, he sure. resented that yeah. very deeply. Um, from both his mother and his father. Um, and so, you know, he finally got to join in uh, February 1865 when the war was basically over and he was put on Grant's personal staff. Right. And then he became Secretary of War for... For James Garfield. And that leads us, James Garfield, what a great transition. So <laughs> one of the fascinating things about your book is that he was close to two other presidential assassinations. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the stories uh, that people actually know about Robert Lincoln was that um, he was close to three presidential assassination, you know, his father, Lincoln, James Garfield, and uh, William McKinley. And um, it's a great story. Uh, it's only partially correct, <laughs> but uh, so I'm glad we're correcting all this tonight. Exactly, it's one of my favorite things: is correcting the the record That's on. Right. It. <laughs> um, yeah, so Robert, you know, he was not in Ford's Theater when his father was shot. Uh, he was asked to be there by his father, but Robert had been he had just gotten home from being on the battlefield for two weeks straight. And he was tired and he would just wanted to stay at the White House. And he was you know, just hanging out with his friend, John Hay, who was his father's personal secretary. But Robert came to the Peterson house after his father was shot and he was there all night. So um, now for President Garfield, Garfield got shot in the uh, Baltimore Railroad Station in D.C. as he was on his way for a little trip. Um, he was with uh, James G. Blaine, the Secretary of State. Robert Lincoln was going with them. He was a couple minutes behind them. So when Garfield was shot by Charles Guiteau, Robert Lincoln was standing about 40 feet away. That's incredible. And he saw everything happen. And actually, while I was doing my research, uh, I found a letter that Robert wrote. It's like 15 pages handwritten 
of every single thing that happened from the minute Garfield got shot uh-huh. for about two weeks later. Wow. Every minute. And no one's ever used this letter before in any book about Garfield. It was such a piece of gold that I got to use. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And so basically Robert and Blaine ran the government, at least for the first few weeks. Yeah. Um, but there's a great quote. Uh, I think it was Thomas Pendle. He was a doorkeeper for Lincoln and for Garfield. And I, I believe it was him who wrote later that once they all got back to the White House, Robert Lincoln said, my God, how many hours of sorrow I have passed in this town. Yeah, I would imagine that just got to be rattling. And, um, you know, to, to have gone through what your father went through and then to see something like that. And it was kind of interesting. I think you mentioned in the book that he was asked to recount his father's assassination for Garfield less than 48 hours before Garfield got shot. Was that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, Garfield. Yeah. And uh, I I've, am, I believe that Garfield, I don't remember why, but I think it was just kind of on his mind. You know, everybody yeah. back then was fascinated yeah, by Lincoln. Sure. Uh, Garfield yeah, knew him, sure. of course. And yeah. yeah, he just asked him no particular reason. And yes. uh, yeah, two days Crazy later, then he got shot. Crazy coincidence. And McKinley, tell us about his relationship with McKinley's assassination. Yeah. So McKinley, um, yeah, he was shot in uh, Buffalo at the Pan Am Exposition in 1901. And um, so that's that's the the error in the story that Robert was not there. <laughs> that's, uh-huh. that's right. I, I can't tell you how many sources I've seen <laughs> that Robert Lincoln was anywhere from. You know, he was in the exposition, but not with yeah. McKinley. To I even right. found one source that said he was standing on stage with McKinley, which he was. Robert wasn't even in town. He and his family were on a Pullman car. He was president of Pullman at this time, and they were traveling to the exposition just to visit it as a family. He wasn't going to see McKinley or be part of any events. And so when he got, when their train got to the station, a Pullman employee was waiting there and uh, he had a telegram for Robert Lincoln that said, President McKinley has been shot. Um, And so Robert immediately went to the Milburn house, which was where McKinley, they had taken him to recover. And all the doctors said, oh, he's fine. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So Robert, uh, he wrote a letter you know, just, I think that night and say, I visited the president. He was in great spirits. The doctors right, say he'll be right. fine. I feel really good about this. <laughs> oh, right, right. Nope. Oh, oh my. So, um, yeah. so um, now you did, you, you talked a little bit about, and I think you've done and you found um, records that no one else has seen. And, and a lot of your work was done in the library of Congress. Tell us how you did the research. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, I love re- one of my, um, favorite quotes is uh, Barbara Tuckman, who's a wonderful historian. And in an essay, she wrote, uh, research is endlessly seductive and writing is hard work. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is absolutely true. Oh, I love doing research. So Robert, um, his papers are all across America. So I traveled all over the country um, and did some remote stuff. I didn't get to California in person, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of his papers are in the library of Congress or in Springfield, Illinois, but uh, Robert's papers are, yeah. I, I mean, I went to, God, I must've gone to at least 20 different States to find wow. many of his papers. Um, newspaper articles are a huge resource that a lot of people sure. don't, a lot of historians don't seem to use, but you know, yeah. there's a reason it's called the first draft of history. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, literally, you know, as I was doing research or doing the writing, you know, I discovered something new, unknown, unpublished every day, but, but not just about Robert, you know, about his father, his mother, sure. his brothers, about the civil yeah. war, 
uh, Robert knew every president from his father up until um, Robert himself died in uh, Coolidge uh, was president, I believe, 26. Uh-huh. And um, so he knew so much about so many people and events. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, I, I love to think that when Robert was born, you know, it was candles, outhouses. Yes. Um, and then when he died, 25 wow. room Georgian Revival Mansion with yes. electricity and a car right. in the garage. Right. And his, right. his granddaughter flew an airplane, actually, yes, that, was that she would great. land on his yeah. property. So. That was a wild age to be in. I mean, yeah, it, think it, about yeah. everything Oof. he saw. I remember there's maybe a whole nother podcast about that, that age from like 1880 to 1920 and just how fast everything developed, you know, the railroads and the steel mills and, you know, and and he was right in there around with it. Well, thank you for doing that research. Thank you for writing this book. It's fascinating and I wish you all the luck with it. And uh, I thank you for coming on and sharing it with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. And until then, always remember, read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.